Amen, amen. Okay, last week we began looking at the issue of believing God and it being accounted to Him for righteousness. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm once again going to read verses 6 and 7. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. It'd be kind of amazing you study the Word, whether it's here in Galatians or elsewhere. And you, you just look at the headlines that are unfolding, whether they're in this nation or things that are happening in Israel or the Middle East. But isn't it exciting times to live? I know there's a world that just gets all bent, uh, uh, bent backwards and, and turned inside out over things like politics. Don't you guys know that we got something so much bigger than all that? Amen. They're fussing and fighting over inaugurations and all these other things. Folks, i got news for you. The Word says that the government shall be upon Jesus' shoulders, and to it there'll be no end. Amen. Man, I'm not here to protest. I'm here to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the more I get into God's Word, just the greatest confidence that I have, not in the, 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 the hand or the will of man, but in the power of God to keep those things that we commit to Him. And so Paul's epistle to the church at Galatians uh, to the church of Galatia, in chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read that again. We started here. We kind of got cut off last week just because of time. And here's what it says. It says, in the same way. Somebody says, in the same way. So if it's in the same way, man, I want to go that way. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. So here is that same way that we need to go. It says, in the same way that Abraham believed God, and God accounted him as righteous because of his faith, it says, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to continue just a little bit further and hopefully take it just a little bit uh, deeper as well. And if you remember last week, and some of you guys probably have this in your notes, we're talking about the conclusion of the matter. Once, once the, Paul stated that in Galatians 3, 6, and 7, it pretty much settled the issue, even though he's going to build on that even into the fourth chapter that we talked about. The, 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 you know, we had this great battle. These, these Judaizers were coming in, and they were telling those that had received faith the same way that Abraham had, that now they're going to have to attach some type of the law to it. In that case, it was specifically, they were talking about uh, circumcision. But you'll remember Paul went and had this, the, this meeting with the, the leaders that were in Jerusalem, and, and James came back with this brilliant idea to, to kind of create what I call the first denominationalism. He's saying, listen, let those on the outskirts of the, of the, the kingdom, those that are get affected, let them just kind of keep a few of the rules. And here in Ju uh, Jerusalem, what we're going to do is we're going to adhere to a lot more of the principles of law. So it created a schism, and I don't believe that, that he meant it to. If you want to look at that further, you can obviously look in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. But when we get to this point, it kind of concludes the matter. And here's what he said. And I'll, I gave you three things last week. That Adam, who previously, excuse me, Abraham, previously Abram, he believed God. Didn't it? Folks, if we can't start out on that premise, just give up. You hear me? If you can't believe God. Because I have folks that, 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 that say a lot of things. I meet people just like you do out in the marketplace of our ministry that, that talk about a lot of things. They're, they're Christians. But when it comes right down to believing what God said, they have a problem with it. Well, I don't believe everything. Folks, if you can't believe everything, don't believe anything. You hear what I'm saying? Even the parts that are uncomfortable, even the parts that challenge you, even the parts that sometimes rub you the wrong way, even the parts that at various times you're like, you just can't understand that, folks, listen, we have got to come to the base of that relationship that we believe God. The second thing is Abraham's belief or faith was what made him righteous. He believed God. He had faith. And that's what made him righteous. See, I could ask that question if I had not prefaced by this stuff to just a, a random group of people. I'd say, what makes you righteous? Now, a lot of people would say, well, it's because I go to church. Or it's because I pray. It's because I read the Bible. Or it's because I don't drink. Or I don't cuss. I don't smoke. I don't have uh, uh, sexual relations outside of marriage. Those are the things that make me righteous. No, those are the things that righteous people do as a result of being made righteous. I don't smoke, drink, or cheat on my wife, or, do, or curse, or do all those other things. Not because I'm thinking to myself, maybe if I can check enough boxes on the, the righteousness application, then suddenly God will say, okay, son, you did enough of those things, and your, your righteousness outweighs your unrighteousness. Folks, listen, one drop of my unrighteousness is enough leaven to leaven the whole lump of anything that I think that I can do in the natural do you hear me? So Abraham's belief or faith was what made him righteous. The third thing I told you was that Abraham's real or genuine children are those who likewise put their faith in God. And so if you're going to be the real children of Abraham, you've got to do it the same way that Abraham did it. 
And we talked about last week that Abraham was counted into righteousness before the law was even given. Before Moses showed up on the, the scene. Before Moses went up on the mountain and, and God wrote the Ten Commandments with, the, with, the, with His own finger. And before Moses delivered those things and, and established the tabernacle. Before all those things, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So if I'm going to be made righteous, I'm going to be made righteous the same way. So tonight what we're going to do, we're going to address what this looks like in the personal life as it plays out. Not just here in 2017, but what it looked like even when Paul the Apostle was dress, addressing the church in Galatia and even further back when Abraham believed God as counted in righteousness. So in looking at Galatians 3, 6, and 7, turn to the book of Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Don't you love Romans? Amen. Romans is kind of that full enchilada. It's got the Gospels, the Epistles. It's got the, all the good eschatology. It's got everything kind of wrapped into those wonderful 16 chapters that we call the Roman letter. But we're going to get something out of that. And I'm going to show you how that applies to Galatians 3, 6, and 7. So Romans chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And I'm going to go all the way through the 15th verse. And you're following along with me tonight. It said, Abraham was, humanly speaking, he was the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us that Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Verse 4. And so when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But when people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of the faith in God who forgives sinners, it says David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. And David said this in verse 7. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has declared cleared of sin. Anybody rejoice because your record has been made clean of sin? I ask people this all the time. You know how far back your, your, your sin or your past goes? To the last application of the blood of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? That maybe you can bring something else, but if he puts it as far as the east is from the west... If he's going to cast it into the sea of forgetfulness, and, and though my skins are like sins are like scarlet, he'll make it white as snow. It says that I've, I've been made clean. The record of my sin has been not just part, but it's been totally expunged from my record because of who Jesus Christ is. In verse 9, it says, Now this is the blessing. Uh, uh, is this blessing only for the Jews? Or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles, those ones that the Judaizers were trying to get under the law? He says, well, we have been saying that Abraham was accounted as righteous because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? This is clearly, somebody said clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision, verse 11, was a sign that Abraham had already had faith and that God had already accepted him. Somebody say already. He had already had faith. God had already accepted him. And God had already declared him to be righteous even though he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father who those who have faith but have not been circumcised, those who are counted as righteous because of their faith. Folks, listen. I'm 50 years old at the end of this month, been serving Jesus faithfully for 32 years. But listen, I'm no more righteous today after 32 years than I was as an 18-year-old man that he declared righteous. Do you hear me? I didn't earn some type of righteousness over three-plus decades of serving Jesus. I just, what I've done is I've figured out what that righteousness ought to look like in somebody's life that has walked with Jesus for any length of time. My belief has been built. My faith has grown from faith to faith. And I'm not talking about faith in the sense of, man, I'm hopeful for something. I'm talking about the reality. Faith is the substance. We've talked about this. Faith is the hypostasis. Faith is the, the reality. Faith has become more and more of a reality to me than it was 32 years ago. And so if faith has become my reality, all those other frailties of who Troy Bond used to be, all of those things that, that used to try to identify me, all of my past, all of that stuff that used to, to, to try to come after me. Folks, listen, you get to the point in reality, listen, that's not reality. That stuff's going to be burned up. That stuff's going to be consumed through the breath of his nostrils. And so if, if it's not going to be there for him, why should it be there for me? I'm going to get that stuff under the blood, and I'm going to step into an arena of the reality of who God is and see that in my finiteness that there's somebody so infinite 
And he's exceedingly able to do abundantly more than I could ever ask or I could even think. Folks, that's the good news of who we are in Christ Jesus. And verse 13 says, clearly, back to Romans 4, God promises to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based upon his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. Somebody say that comes by faith. So if God, verse 14, promises for only those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary. The promise uh, is, is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey. I want to say that again. For the law always, somebody says always, always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Don't you love the way it says that in the NLT in that 15th verse? The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Because folks, listen, try as you might, if you have a law to break, you're going to break it. You are. If you try to adhere to something that you try to accomplish in, the, in, in your strength and in your own, uh, your own abilities, you're going to come up, up short. So Abraham believed God. And my question is, do you believe like that? Abraham believed God. He was a candidate of righteousness. Do you believe like that? Isn't that the question we've got to ask ourselves? Does your belief bring with it the accompanying benefit of righteousness? Because folks, listen, if I have a a belief that doesn't produce that type of benefit, what am I really believing in? Because the true children of God have that type of faith. Think about James 2.19 in our Bible study in the French Quarter on Tuesday nights. You guys are in, in, in James. I'm not sure exactly where you are in that. But you've, you've studied this part, I'm sure. And it says, you say you have faith. for your, You believe that there is one God. Everybody here believe that? Good for you, he said. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Okay? So did that type of belief produce righteousness in the demons? Well, absolutely not. Then James 2, 20-24 says, How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Or faith that does not produce the fruit of righteousness in your life is useless? Don't you remember that your ancestor, Abraham, here James is bringing up Abraham, was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. They put feet to his faith. They put a demonstration that something happened. In verse 23, and so it happened just as the scripture said. Abraham believed God and was counted in righteousness because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right. So we say shown to be right. By God, but what we do, not just by faith alone. And so the key here is shown to be right, not made to be right. Okay? So we're shown to be right by the things that we demonstrate. It didn't say that we're made to be right by the things that we demonstrate. It's saying that we're shown, or there's a demonstration that comes out of my life that shows me to be right because of the fruit that comes out of my life. Is it any different than the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7 when he says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, or somebody that claims to have a relationship with God or goes to church or got saved. But he says, You'll know a tree by what? The fruit that it bears. A good tree doesn't produce evil fruit. An evil tree does not produce good fruit. So you're going to know if you're righteous or not by the type of fruit or what is demonstrated coming out of your life. So belief isn't simply our, uh, our English definition, which basically means to hold to an opinion, to think, or to suppose. But the in the Hebrew, here's what it uh, uh, implies. It means persuasion built upon that which gives credence to one's position. And so it means persuasion. It's built upon that which gives credence to one's position. So if, if Andrew back there said, hey guys, I've been going to the gym, I've been working out, and listen, I've got my bench press up to 300 pounds. He says, listen guys, I've got my bench press up to 300 pounds. I've been working out for months and months. Listen, I, I, I've, been, I've been doing exactly what I need to do. I've been following the particular regiment, and I've got my bench press up to 300 pounds. Now, what are the guys here at the training center going to say? <laughs> You're going to laugh. Then you're going to say, i got to see it. Let's go to the gym and let's put some plates on the end of that bar. You know what I'm saying? And so, But what's going to happen if you put that 45-pound bar on there and you line that thing up with the plates and now he's got 300 pounds and he's laying underneath it and all of a sudden you spot him, you elevate that thing, he drops it down on his chest and he pops out like three reps, three or four reps at 300 pounds. What's going to happen? 
The very fact that you saw him lift that weight is going to give credence to what he had previously said. Folks, that's what it's talking about here. And so there's something in the Hebrew, if I believe, there's something that's produced that gives value to that. It gives weight to my testimony, just like those plates on that bar gave weight to his declaration that he could lift 300 pounds. Now, folks, listen, if I'm going around and I'm talking about that, listen, I've been made righteous through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I've never put the plates on the bar. I've never demonstrated the characteristics of righteousness. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to go back to the first response. Yeah, right. Ha, ha, ha. There ain't no way you're saved. Why? Because you don't act saved. There ain't no way you're righteous. Why? Because you don't live righteous. And out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is speaking. And so you don't speak like somebody that's born again. You speak like somebody that's lost. So folks, we've got to put some weight on the end of the bars and not just lay there and talk about what we might do, but we've got to grip up and we've got to drop that thing down on our spiritual chest and we've got to heave hole and allow that weight to demonstrate a characteristic in our life, which is Christ Jesus. Do you hear me? And so 1 John 3, 1 through 10, and many of you guys know this, you preach this with, with, with frequency. And here's what he says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, talking about this exact same thing. He says, see how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. Now, we're the children of whom? Children of God through Abraham. And so if we're going to be that offspring, we're going to have it just like that. For he calls us his children, that is uh, what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. I want to stop right there just for a second. Folks, listen, you can tell the world whatever you want to tell the world. You can tell people that I'm saved and I, be I belong to God and all these. They won't recognize you. What's funny, we're on the streets preaching the gospel and, 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 and somebody will walk up and they'll take a picture and maybe I'm talking to somebody and you guys have maybe heard me say this before. And they'll say, I don't want that person taking my picture. And I said, dude, I'm sorry. He ain't, they ain't taking your picture. They're taking my picture. Well, what do you mean? And I tell them, well, this is because I'm kind of a big deal. What do you mean you're kind of a big deal? Well, I'm kind of a big deal. They're not taking my picture. You just happen to be standing by me while they're taking it. And so you just need to move out of the frame because they're taking a picture of me because I'm a big deal. And we'll say, why are you a big deal? Well, you don't understand who my daddy is. Really, who's your dad? You don't know? You wouldn't understand. I could tell you, you're just going to have to look it up sometime. And they'll look at me, they'll think my dad's maybe the mayor, or the mayor. my dad is maybe some businessman or some other politician or, or, or somebody that's a celebrity. Folks, listen, it doesn't matter. I could tell them that my daddy was God, but they don't understand that. You hear me? I could say mine is the one that holds the universe in the span of his hand. He's the one that spoke and said, let there be, and there was. He's the one that raises the dead and heals the sick and opens the blinded eyes. But see, those who are in the world don't even understand that type of conversation because they don't know him. In verse 2, it says, dear children, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we shall be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Folks, listen, how are we going to be when we see him? We're going to be like him, right? And so our goal, if we're going to be made righteous through faith, is to be like him. And so, folks, listen, if I'm going to live a life, if I'm going to preach a gospel, if I'm going to be a, a Christian, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I need to be one now that looks like him. That way I'm not into for some big shock when I stand before God. It's like, God, listen, man, I was looking like the world before. Why is there such a drastic shock? Folks, listen, either if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, or he's not. Do you hear me? And so if I'm in Christ, even right now, I'm going to begin to decrease, just like John the Baptist did, so he can increase. And so when I'm like him, that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing pr pr uh, 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 right now through a glass darkly, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Amen. I'm going to see him, and he's going to know me because I'm going to be like him. goes on to say, verse 4, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sin, for there's no sin in him. But anyone who continues to live in him will not continue on sinning. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, verse 7, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what's right, here's that fruit, here's that demonstration, that belief that Abraham had. It shows that they're righteous even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, 
It shows that they belong to the devil. It didn't say that they're on a journey. It didn't say that they're trying hard. It didn't say they went through First Communion and they're just waiting for confirmation. It didn't say any of those things. It says that they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy. Somebody say destroy. Destroy the works of the devil. Because those who have been born into God's family by how? By faith do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is now in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. So now we tell you who the children of God are, who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. So it's accounted unto uh, uh, him as righteousness because he believed God. And folks, listen, when we believe God, something's going to come out of our life. The fruit of that belief is going to produce righteousness. So the belief spoken of right here in Galatians 3, 6 was obviously more than a belief or some uh, cognitive conclusion that just simply uh, acknowledged a known fact. It's something, it's a belief that carried with it a transformational benefit. How many of us believe in God? Amen. How many of you believe that the, the world is round? Gonna watch it anymore with all these flat earth people around. He's never know what people believe anymore. You believe that. How many believe that there's a moon in the sky? How many believe that there's a sun in the sky? You believe those things, but you've never put a hand to them. You've never you've never uh, uh, gone into the stratosphere. You've never done any of those things, but you you believe. But folks, listen. There's a belief that comes into our life that's going to be transformational. How many of you believe that you you ate a little less, that you lose some pounds, or if you worked out a little bit more, you get some strength? The next year you say, "I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again." Do you hear what I'm saying? And so there's got to be a belief that comes into our life that is transformational. And so the power to be more than simply called righteous, but to actually be made righteous. Don't we all want that? I don't want God just to have to call me righteous. Man, I want to believe that God has made me righteous. Folks, listen, I, I think about just on a, on a personal level, going back, 25 plus years working in banking and finance. A lot of you guys know my testimony of how I got into the ministry. Millie and I, Jared was a baby. I don't think Kayla was just a few months from being born that, back in 1991. We go into a little church in, in a bad neighborhood and uh, minding our own business, so to speak. The pastor comes up to me after the service and he asks me to preach for him the next week. Now, this guy didn't know me from Adam. Uh, he had never heard me preach uh, because I hadn't done much preaching, okay? But he came up, and within months, I went from the banking industry to what we call full-time ministry. Within months, something happened. And so within months, I went from just being recognized as Troy Bond, the, the, the banker, the loan officer, whatever it might have been, to suddenly I stepped into a level of authority that I wasn't even looking for. And it wasn't something I applied for. It wasn't nothing I was striving for. It's what Psalm 75 says, that promotion doesn't come from the north, south, east, and west. God raises up one and puts down another, and he puts down another and raises up one. It came upon me. So I was made to be something. It wasn't something that I strove to become. And so an authority came into that position that I operated in. And you guys that are called to leadership, I've said this ad nauseum. Listen, there's things that when you step into the call and the righteousness of God to obedience to what God has said, there's things that you will know. There's things that you'll be able to do. There's a comprehension that you'll have. There's a wisdom that you'll operate in that does not belong to you. It's like Iron Man slipping on the suit and all of a sudden he can fly. He comes out of that suit. You know what? He's landlocked just like the rest of us. And so, folks, what righteousness does when God makes you righteous, there's an enablement come that gives you characteristic that he has that outside of that relationship you don't have. And so I'm not just called righteous, I'm made righteous. And so because he made me righteous, I get to be clothed in righteousness, and there's a demonstration, there's an ability that I have that does not exist apart from Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen because I go to church enough, that I can quote enough Bible verses, that I can go preach on the street enough, or sing a lovely of enough song. There's something that happens when the righteousness of God is imputed into my life by faith. Now I have something to tap into through a thing called obedience that I do not have outside of it. And so if you're wondering, well, man, I'm, I'm, I'm walking, I'm a Christian, but man, I feel powerless. Well, you need to take another look at your obedience. Well, I'm a believer, but you know what? I don't have any authority. 
Well, that's not customary to a believer. I'm a believer, but I don't have victory. That's not normal for a believer. You need to take a step back and check your belief system. Because if I believe what he said, there's something that's going to manifest itself in my life, just like he has promised in his word. You need to check the source and the basis of your belief, whether it's built upon what you do, what you cognitively can understand, or whether there's a revelation of what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago upon the cross of Calvary when he hung and bled and died and all of that stuff was laid upon him that three days later he rose up out of the dead, set up the right hand of the power and 40 days later on the day of Pentecost he poured his spirit out upon all flesh, the same spirit that he promised that he would send, another comforter that would lead and guide you into all truth, the same truth that makes men free just like 1 John chapter 3 says. Folks, that's the benefit that we have of walking in righteousness towards God. And it's got to be that thing that's transformational. Folks, listen, there's people, you know them, you've met them. Maybe each one of us at one particular time were one of them. In churches today that are called Christians, more people that are called Christians, I'll put it that way, than are living like Christ. Would you not say that? We consider this a Christian nation. You've got to be kidding me. A nation that's killed millions of the unborn in their, in, in their mother's womb. A, a, a nation that's killing and divided, that, that doesn't love their brothers and sisters because of their, their, the color of their skin or by, because of their socioeconomic condition. You're kidding me. This is a Christian nation. Why? Because we eat apple pie, play baseball, and we have red, white, and blue on our flag? Folks, listen, I'm not beholden to this nation. I praise God that I live in this nation. But my citizenship is in heaven. And I tell you what, when Jesus Christ splits the eastern skies as prophesied in Revelation chapter 19, I'm not going to be standing somewhere saluting the stars and the bars. Amen. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be caught up together with him in the air or I'm going to be following him as that multitude that's returning just depending on your eschatology. You hear me? And so it's going to be something that changes and transforms based upon our belief in God. So believing God must advance beyond the acknowledgement of some higher power. You hear me? Whether you want to call that higher power Jesus or not, it's got to advance just beyond acknowledging that God sent Jesus to die upon the cross. Because once again, the devil believes that and trembles. Because most people have more confidence. Let me just say this. Most Christians have more confidence or faith in the integrity or the safety of their automobile, which an average car has 10,000 plus movable parts, they have more confidence of getting in that car and driving it across a bridge that's erected out of steel over a, a, a river, or they have more confidence in getting in an airplane that's being propelled at 600 miles an hour through the air without even flapping its wings, and they believe they have more confidence and faith of getting there than they do of God answering a prayer that they pray. That's true. You start your car, you believe for the most part, unless, you got some, unless you're driving Andrew's truck, you're believing that when you turn that key, it's going to start. And once it starts, you believe that car is going to get you where you're going. When you go through that little TSA and they put you on that plane and the, the, the cabin doors close to that airplane, you believe that once it runs off that runway and it flies up there, you believe that, that it's going to get you to your destination. You believe that. But how many of you have that equal belief that when you ask God, anything believing, you shall have it. See, folks, that's the reality. That's the reality of why the disciples said, help our unbelief. And so if I'm walking in belief, I'm going to have more confidence in God than I am in the 10,000 plus movable parts on my automobile. And so you can ask somebody yourself, do you have more faith that your heart's going to get you to work? Or do you have more faith that God's going to meet the need in your life? You believe your car will start. You believe you're going to get your paycheck on Friday if you work. You believe that the food that you ordered at the restaurant is not going to poison you. You believe that the bridge won't crumble when you make yourself across the river. You believe that your family's going to be home when you get there if you get off work. You believe that your college degree might help you get a better paying job. You believe that you can throw a few Advil in your mouth and it's going to help you with your headache. You believe those things. But folks, listen. Believing those things to be true to a degree that you place your confidence in them without worrying yourself to death it might relieve you of some stress in life, 
But none of those things will ever be able to rid any of us of unrighteousness. That unrighteousness that was embedded into our very nature when Adam fell. So the reason his believing at Abraham's was accounted him righteous because it qualified him to be called righteous by God. Now, folks, you got, you got to get this. Who was the one that said Abraham was righteous because of his faith or belief in what God said? Who was the one that said that? Who was the one that said you're righteous because of your faith? It's not a trick question. God said it. Not a trick question. So God said you're the one that's righteous. So let me put this in perspective. God said to this creation that was without form and void, He said, let there be light, or be light, in the, in the simplest definition of what it says. And what happened? There was light. Right? Even though darkness had previously prevailed, in the midst of all this chaos and disorder, once God said, let there be light, it was so. Why? Because God said it. And so when God told Abraham, you're righteous because of your faith, man, did, did Abraham have any need to say, oh man, I don't know about all that. Think about it. And he said, man, I, I know you're the one that hung this, the moon and the stars in the sky. I know you're the one that has created everything and a single thing has been created that hasn't been created by you. But man, listen, that's easy stuff compared to calling me righteous. Folks, listen, don't you think that way sometimes? That the one that can cause the rising and the setting of the sun that can call you righteous by faith, but you'll believe that, but you won't believe what he said about you. Folks, listen, I believe that's the problem, the wholesale problem with the body of Christ. And I believe that the problem that they faced in Galatians was the exact same thing. They put more stock in the law that condemned them than they did the Jesus that died to set them free. And folks, I believe that many Christians today, you have more confidence in the sin that binds you than the Jesus that died and rose again to set you free. That's why people hold on to things. You have more confidence in everything else except the one that existed before anything else. The one that spoke and was and the one that will speak one time and all those things are going to pass away. Where is our faith in? Folks, that's important to us. Why? Because we call ourselves believers. And so darkness or the condition that creation existed in before God spoke had to respond and obey once it heard His voice. And so there was a change in condition demonstrated that level of belief. And so God spoke, said, let there be light, and there was what? And so the condition demonstrated that there was a response to His Word. Your condition in your life will demonstrate that you believe and thus respond to His Word. So the question is not merely, do you believe? But what exactly is it that you believe to the degree that this produces a marked difference in your life? What do you believe that changes something about you? Well, sisters, we can believe a lot of things. And we can say, I believe that. Oh, yeah, I acknowledge that. Oh, I believe that. But what is it in your life, period, that you believe to the degree that it changes everything about who you are? Does anyone believe the law of physics? Do you believe Newton's law of physics? Do you believe gravity, for instance? Do you believe it to the degree that you're not going to jump off of this three-story building? You're not going to do it. Why? Is there anything that I could do, if I could take James up on top of this room, is there any conversation that I could have with you that would convince you that you could leap off of that and not perish when you hit the pavement? Can you think of anything that I could say? Period. You couldn't think of anything that would change the condition of your thinking that you would say, you know what? Man, for, for 19 years of my life, for 18 years of my life, I believe that I jump off this building, I'm going to go splat. But I tell you what, you said some things that, dude, listen, I'm totally confident I can step right off the edge. There's not a thing I can say, is there? I can say, you know what those little things on your back are, those scapulas? Those are actually wings that are going to pop out. But nobody has enough faith to jump off, and so nobody's wings pop out of their back. That's, you're not going to buy into that, are you? 
Or if I'm going to say, boy, you got some big old hands. If you flap high enough, you're going to be able to do it. Or listen, you're probably full of helium. You're not full of anything else. There's nothing I can say. You're going to believe if you come off the edge, splat. There's nothing that I can say to change that. Why? Because my words don't have that type of authority. But what about when God said? So is there anything that God could say to you that would convince you that you can't have victory? Is there anything that God could say to you that could tell you that you're righteous, that you're not just called righteous, but you're made righteous? What could He say to you that could convince you of that? Because folks, i got news for you. His words carry a lot more weight than any of our words. So what did Abraham believe? Because he believed something. And whatever he believed in caused righteousness to be produced or reproduced in his life. Well, obviously, he believed that God existed. Obviously, he believed that what God said was, was true. Do you believe what God said is true? Because most really don't. And he also believed the gospel. He believed the good news. He believed what we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you believe he believed that? Do you believe that Abraham believed the gospel? Do you believe that Abraham believed that, 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 that Jesus would come and die upon a cross and rise again from the third day? Do you believe he believed that? How do you, how, how do you know he believed that? Because you know you're supposed to answer yes. Folks, listen, that's not belief. I can tell you he believed that. And you're going to say, well, Pastor Troy's pretty trustworthy. And he usually answers his questions eventually, so I'm just going to have to say yes. Folks, that don't cut it. Caleb, that's not going to produce righteousness in your life. Just because Pastor Troy said, I can end right here and say, well, you already believe it. I guess I can finish the teaching tonight. Do you believe, Andrew, that Abraham believed that Jesus would one day come, that Jesus would die, he would rise again from the dead, and by that reason of that profession, he'd be saved? Why? Why do you believe he believed that? You have no clue, right? That's what the word says. Really, where does it say that at? Where's it say that at? You just say, I have no idea. You're, you're scurrying for your phone. Google it. Google Jesus. You just say, I have no idea. I just believe it. So do you really believe it? Folks, you see what I'm saying? And so if you've got a struggle, God help my unbelief. If you've got a struggle, help my unbelief. How do I... How do I resolve the issue of unbelief? Ah, I get back into the Word. And I let the Word shore up those things that are very important. Because if I'm going to be a child of Abraham, I need to know what a child of Abraham looks like, what he talks like, what he lives like. And, but I really need to know what he believed because his belief produced in him a righteousness that was before the law, that was before the man, full manifestation of the cross of Calvary. It produced something. And so the same thing that Abraham was looking forward to at the cross of Calvary, I'm looking back towards. But how did he know that? How could he see that? Well, I'm glad... That you ask. I believe that he believed that Jesus would be God made flesh. That there would be a miraculous conception and God would come down from his exalted place and glory. Because I have to believe that. I have to believe that, that Jesus was God made flesh. That something miraculous happened. Well, I believe he believed that because he lived it personally through the miracle that was promised into his own life when Sarah was able to conceive. Why? Because Isaac. The conception of Isaac was the type of that incarnation. Galatians, if you don't believe it, I'm going to give you Bible on it. Galatians chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. Galatians, excuse me, Genesis chapter 18. I'm stuck on Galatians. He's like, there's 18 chapters in Galatians. That's somebody's reading the Bible. Put your finger there and turn to the book of Hezekiah quickly. Yeah, right. Which doesn't exist either, by the way. Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 11. Sarah, your wife. Somebody's still looking for it. Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And so Sarah was in an impossible situation to rightly conceive. But what happened? God provided the type and shadow. By allowing her to conceive with Abraham to produce Isaac. So God was showing him something in the types and shadows of the old covenant. That says, listen, I'm going to give you a picture of what your belief is going to reproduce. 
and how that that belief is going to resemble exactly what I'm going to do in the in the course of the atonement. Which brings us to the atonement, which was the substitutionary death. Isaac was not just a type of Christ in his conception and birth, but Isaac was a type of Christ when Abraham took him up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him, just like God had said. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 12. Sometime later, 22, Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. That faith that he had that was accounted unto him righteousness, God was going to put into the test and see it was going to produce what it was called to produce. Abraham, God called out. He said, yes, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son. Who else was an only begotten son? Jesus. Yes, Isaac, who you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And so, verse 3, the next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for the fire. I love it. I love this picture. He took two of his servants with him. I'm just going to draw this picture out as I go, rather than at the end. How, how many thieves did it mention that was there with Jesus? Two thieves. Let's look at this picture. He sat on his donkey. He took two. How, how did Jesus go into the, to the city on the, on, that he rode in on a colt? And with him was son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for the fire. And a burnt offering he set out for the place that God told him. And on the third day of their journey... What day? Third day. Jesus was dead for three days. Are you seeing it? Abraham took up and he saw the place in the distance. He said, stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, and the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come. Then we, do you see that? We will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering. Jesus was crucified on a cross made out of what? Wood. Okay, thank you. On Isaac's shoulders. Who carried the wood? Up to the mountain. Who carried Jesus' cross? He did, up to Golgotha's hill. While he himself carried the fire and the knife, and two of them walked together, uh, uh, walked on together. Jesus said, nobody took my life. I gave it. Abraham was a type of the father. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father. And he said, yes, my son. He said, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And he said, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. How many of you know that God provided the lamb slain before the foundation of the world? And it says they both walked up together. They both walked up how? The father and the son walked up together. Do you see at any time that God turned his face? Uh, I mean, Abraham turned his face on Isaac? I got news for you. All those false teachers that say when Jesus hung up on the cross, that God turned his face? Read the 22nd book of Psalm, uh, chapter of Psalms. You're going to find out that Jesus never turned his face. Uh, God never turned his face upon Jesus. They'll tell you that God could not look on sin. So why was God looking for Adam and Eve in the garden after they had sinned? Folks, listen, all that stuff is, 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 is fallacy. It's not Bible. And when they arrived at the place where God had told them, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son. Once again, God, now Jesus said, nobody took my life. I give it. And he laid him atop the altar on the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, yes, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you would truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Now, folks, even though Isaac never truly was sacrificed, once God spoke to Abraham, he was good as dead in the heart of Abraham. He was. Abraham had already made a decision. Did it look like he had any reluctance whatsoever? For those three days it took to get to Mount Moriah, just like Jesus was dead three days, to, to, and he was the only son of God. Abraham had already committed. Listen, I'm going to do exactly what God told me to do. Nobody else is going to come take his life. I'm going to take the very life of the very promise. And folks, listen, that's exactly the picture that we have that Abraham had. We get the cross. He got a picture of the cross looking forward. And so we had the birth with the miracle of Sarah conceiving. We had the cross with, with, with the sacrifice being carried in all of those types of shadows. But we also have Isaac as a type of Christ when the ram appeared in the bush and he was told not to slay Isaac. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 17 through 19 says this. It says, it was by faith. By what? By faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise. I like what it says. It says, it was my faith that, that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Folks, listen. Some people would argue, say, well, he never 
He never actually sacrificed him. Sure he did. Three days earlier when God spoke, he'd already made the sacrifice. He was just waiting where the obedience would intersect with the sacrifice. Okay, God spoke. I believed it. My belief is going to produce something. And it may be three days later, but you know what? That's the reality. I've already committed it in my mind. And so, folks, listen. Your reality begins where your faith begins. And so if you're saying, well, three years ago I gave my life to Jesus, that's where your reality ought to begin. You're not waiting for something to happen in the distance. You're not waiting for something to happen three years later, three days later, 30 years later. When if any man is in Christ, that's where your reality begins. And so if I'm putting off the old man, I'm not saying, well, I'm just a baby Christian so I can still live like the devil. Or I just got saved yesterday, so I'm going to cuss, and I'm going to still have sex outside of marriage, and I'm going to still blaspheme, and I'm going to do all these other compromising things. No, folks, listen, when I believe God, everything should change at that moment, or I'm not believing the right God. Do you hear me? He didn't say, let there be light. And there's a big argument in all the celestial bodies. They said, listen, I know there's going to be light. We'll get around to that eventually. Give us a few million years and maybe something will come together. He said, let there be and there was. And it says, Abraham believed God right then and right there. It was accounted him for righteousness. So the problem isn't what God said. I've said before you life and I've said before you death. Why don't you choose life? Folks, you know what life is? It's now. Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. So it was by faith that, that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was set to him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Even though God had told him Isaac is the son whom your descendants will be counted, Abraham reasoned that if, God, that if Isaac died, that God was still able to bring him to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Why? Because when he told him, take your son, listen, his son was dead. He's going to be dead. But man, I'm believing that God is not slack concerning his promises. Son men count slackness. He's long-suffering that none should perish. Not even my son Isaac. Not my promise, but all should come to repentance. I'm going to change my... Something is going to happen that's going to change the way I see things. Folks, it's like he had to offer up his promise. Folks, for us, we do the same thing. That's our faith. So Abraham believed to the degree that it produced the telltale fruit of belief. And what was that? It was called obedience. And so if I'm going to believe God, what's going to have to be accompanying that is that strange little thing that so many people run away from, and it's called obedience. Consider Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. Let's back up a few verses. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. It says he obeyed God. Somebody say he obeyed God. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never even happened before. It's going to rain. What's that? Well, I don't care what it is. You just told me to build a boat. I'm going to do it. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So by faith, what did he do? He built an ark. By faith, he obeyed God. By faith, he warned people of things that they couldn't even comprehend. By faith, he condemned the unbelieving world. By faith, he received the righteousness of God that can only be received by that type of faith. And by faith or belief, he obeyed God. So folks, listen. My faith allows me to obey and do what God has told me to do. Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners... So by the obedience of one shall be made righteous. So what does obedience produce? Righteousness. Righteousness produces our ability to obey what God says. He says, by one man's obedience, many shall be made. To be made is a word that literally, listen to this. It means to be set into a place. It means to be put in charge. It means to give a standing, an authority, or a status that enables someone to rule or exercise decisive force. I want to say that again. It means to set something in place, to put in charge, to give a standing, an authority, a status, or to enable someone to rule and exercise decisive force. So it's a belief that enables one to forcibly and decisively have the ability to demonstrate the characteristics of God and walk in victory over sin. Folks, that's the type of belief system 
that Abraham had adopted. I want to read Galatians once again. Chapter 3, 7 through 9. Know ye therefore that they which are of the faith, the same are the children of Abraham. I'm going to have a revelation like Abraham did. Do you have a revelation of who Jesus is? That he's God come down? Do you have that revelation? Well, a lot of people will have that, that idea. But do you realize that God, God came down from heaven and took on the form of sinful flesh? Do you have that revelation? I'm not talking about that information. I'm talking about you have that revelation. Folks, that's big stuff. Do you have the revelation that God allowed himself to be wounded for our transgressions? To be bruised for our iniquities, to be chastised for our peace, and to be uh, have his stripes to bring healing to our... Do you have a revelation of that? Not the information, but do you have a revelation of that truth? Folks, do you have a revelation that God raised him from the death? That death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Because death has been swallowed up in victory, and this is the victory that overcomes even our faith. Our belief that God can do exactly what he said. And so that's the faith, that type of faith. Faith is that Greek word, pistis, which means the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. Abraham had a moral conviction that whatever God said was the absolute truth. It was his reality. And because what God said was the reality, it produced righteousness in his life. Folks, listen, there's certain measurables that we can all have as believers. So if we're struggling in an area of righteousness in whatever particular area it is in our life, what we need to stop and ask ourselves is, do I really believe God in that area of my life? Maybe it's an area of unforgiveness. Do I believe what God said in that area? Folks, because if I believe what God said about forgiveness and unforgiveness, I can't walk in unforgiveness. Because I know what God said. He said, unless I'm willing to forgive those that sin against me, God can't forgive me. But if I'm unwilling to forgive people, that means I don't believe God. That means I'm an unbeliever. Do you hear me? So folks, listen, do you believe what God said over particular areas of life? See, that's when you need to stop back. I need to step back and say, God, help my unbelief. I want righteousness to be in my life, and I want it to be demonstrated by the fruit that it produces. In the scripture, verses 8, Galatians 3, Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preach before the gospel unto Abraham. Preach before the gospel unto Abraham. That's how I know God gave him the gospel, because the Bible says it right there. There's your verse there, Andrew. All you have to do is read a little bit ahead. So next time somebody says, you know, did Abraham know the gospel? Yeah, how do you know that? Because Galatians 3.8 says he did. And these shall all the nations be blessed, so then they which be of the faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Father, tonight, what we have got to have, each and every one of us, Lord God, bar none. Father, we have to have that type of belief, a belief that produces righteousness in our hearts and lives. Father, we want to be able to believe to the point of our faith becoming our reality. It produces the fruit, Lord God, that was seen in Abraham's life, that was demonstrated through your son Jesus, Lord God, and it's expected of us. You said that you would, that we bear much fruit. So, Father, let that word be that lamp to our feet, that light to our path. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.